chapter. We're going through 1 Corinthians, but we're just going to read the first uh, 33 verses of chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to get out my Bible here, and you can read along with me. 1 Corinthians 14. We've been working through this for some time, and this is... uh, it's kind of an interesting passage of Scripture. This has kind of a different flavor than a lot of what other parts of 1 Corinthians are about. So join me in reading. It says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He, under, he utters mysteries with the Spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word or instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind isn't fruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even them, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Join me in prayer. God, we come before you this morning, and we are reminded 
that your word is powerful, it is strong, it is alive, according to Hebrews 4.12, and it speaks to us. And yet, God, it's not always immediately, and it's not always easily that it speaks. And so this morning, we would ask that you would communicate to us through this passage of Scripture. We thank you for it. We thank you for Paul, who wrote it, and for his years of service. We thank you for the gift it is, and we pray that it would be relevant and contexted in our own lives. We thank you, God, for your, your immense work of the Spirit, just constantly doing things at Parker Ford Church that we can witness and observe. We praise you for them, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. My kids, like most kids, like movies. And uh, you can switch over to the PowerPoint, Dave. My kids, like most kids, like movies. And one, one movie they especially like is uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Have you seen this movie? You've seen? Yeah, yeah, okay. I thought about showing a clip, but I just couldn't quite bring myself to do it. It's a cartoon, and it's about this inventor scientist guy. And I have an affinity for nerds. I'm not sure why, but this guy is definitively a geek. You know, he's just, he's one of those guys, he just, his head is someplace else, and he invents all of these amazing things, and none of them help anybody, okay? Everybody is just constantly awestruck by his ability to create disaster for his community with these, with these different inventions of his. Uh, but one of the things he does is he, f- he falls for a girl. And the girl is likewise a nerd. And he tries to get her attention, and he's having trouble with this whole thing. And he decides to use his very oversized brain to do what maybe nobody else would ever think of. And he, he finds out that of all the food on the planet, this girl likes Jello. Jello. You know what I'm saying? Jello. But she likes it, and he decides that in order to woo her, to try to get her attention, he will uh, build not 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 a not a little bowl full of Jello, not a casserole of Jello, you know the 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 shapes that you can make it in, but he actually builds a house in a field out of Jello, the whole thing just sitting out there in the middle of a field, and he asks her on a date, and he invites her to go out to his jello house, and they go out to the field, and they they kind of walk up to it, and he says, "Look at this," and she's like. Oh my goodness, what is it? You know, it's this golden house that's all wiggling in the glistening sun, you know? And, and he, he kind of leans on it, and what do you think happens? He just kind of slides inside it, and he disappears completely out of view. And she's like, this guy invites me on a date, and he falls into the jello house, and that's it. I'm all alone. Then he sticks his hand out, and he pulls her into the house, and there they are. They're inside the house, and it turns out that the whole thing is jello, and the, and the, the floor is even jello, and they start using it like a trampoline, and they're jumping all around, and the whole thing is wiggling. It looks like a great idea, right? If you're five or six, this is the sort of house you want. Most of us wouldn't pay 100 or 200 or 300 or $400,000 for a house made of jello because we'd all wonder what would happen when the sun really got hot. And we'd all wonder what would happen when one of us, you know, fell through the floor. And you, you kind of have these pictures. But in the unrealistic world of children, this one really works. You know, across the Bible, there are these metaphors, pictures, building pictures. Psalm 127 is one of them. It says that if a man labors to build a house, he labors in vain unless God builds that house with him. In Matthew chapter 7, there's this picture of uh, how we can build our lives, and it says you either build them on the principles of God's word or you build them on sand. And, of course, the rains come and the storm hits, and the house that's built on sand, the life that's built on sand, the life that's built without God's principles, it's shifting, it's movable, it moves on. Down the river, you find that house a few miles. Who knows how far down the river, you know? You've seen those pictures, and that's what, the, the, what Jesus is talking about. First Peter actually draws a picture of all of us. We're all living stones made up into a house in which God 
dwells, and it's God building, and you're actually part of his building material. When I was a little kid, we used to have this uh, picture in our church. We did this every week. I don't know why. And it said, look, at this is the church, and look at the steeples. Open the doors, and there are all the... Have you heard this before? Maybe that's a Michigan thing. But, you know, you wiggle your fingers, and there's all these people, you know? That's because our church isn't made up of the bricks and mortar. It's not the roof or the, the carpet. It's actually you and me. We're the church, right? And what God is trying to build is a stable church... And he is working on it and has been working on it for a very long time. And he's very, very capable. And when the people of God listen to him, that actually works. Something happens in the church at Corinth. And that, that thing that happens is their spiritual lives get really ramped up. You know, in 1 Corinthians 12, we heard about all of these different gifts. And some of them really might have sounded a little bit strange, a little crazy, right? I like those crazy ones, by the way. But the gift of healing, you know, who... Who wants to admit to having the gift of healing? And here in this passage, there's this gift of tongues. Now, let me just read one passage of Scripture for you because I want to get into it and kind of show you Paul's main thought and then kind of draw you in with this idea of what tongues and prophecy are all about. Let me read this. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 4. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, there's a lot of conversation in the church about tongues and prophecy. Forget those words for a second. And just think about the word edify. Because in the ancient language, it actually is the word for building. It literally combines the word for house and the word for build. And it just says build house. That's all that word means. You may have thoughts about what edification or edifying means, but what it actually means is to build up. And this whole passage is going to be about God building up his church. As he's been about doing it since Psalm 127 and Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be talking about it in First Peter. First Peter chapter 2, he's always about building up his church, and he's always about building it up through you and your spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians, the, the church of Corinth, the city that this book was written to, those people got so spiritually energized that in their personal lives, there were these things that started to happen. There were these gifts that started to emerge, and they started to do wild things. One of the things they started to do was to speak in languages that no one understood. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a part of this or ever seen one of these sorts of services where people participate in it, and there are churches that believe in this every day. They they think this is kind of part of their everyday life, and the church at Corinth seems to have been a part of that. And Paul says that, you know, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, and here's why. Let me read for you what Paul says about this this gift. 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So these people are having such a spiritual experience that they run out of words. That's my definition of what tongues is. They actually start praying, and when they start praying, they, they, their hearts get so connected to the Father's, and then they, they, they just kind of run out of words. And they start to speak in these words that nobody understands. And that happens in their personal lives, and they start to bring it inside the church. And I suspect it wasn't just tongues, but other supernatural gifts as well. And it became kind of a wild, crazy show with a lot of energy and a lot of life. Like that Jello house, everything is moving. And you walked into the service and you could feel the life. And it was kind of that energetic atmosphere. And you go, wow, this place is really happening. But on the other hand, it's hard to get anywhere, right? Because if everybody's speaking in these languages that are different than everybody else's, where are we going to end up? And so Paul writes this specific chapter and he says listen you got to get back to the place of order now i was thinking this past week about this passage and i thought you know 
I really need to preach to people at Parker Ford Church because every week in our church, people just start speaking in other languages, right? You've heard this? You do it. I do it. We can't hear it. I mean, everything is just so crazy at Parker Ford. There's no order at all. There's just such wildness that I have to get on top of this. And so I'm going to speak a direct message to all of you saying, you need to get yourselves under control. Your spiritual lives are so energized, and I'm really thankful for that, but they're so energized that you can't stop when you get inside of the four walls of the church, and it's just starting to be chaos. And it's like a house of jello. We're all moving. Well, that's not maybe our problem, right? Maybe our problem's a little different. You know, one of the things I think is happening in this passage is Paul is pointing out to us that this is what it looks like when people start to walk with the Spirit of God and they get energized in their own personal life. And before you easily discount, and I don't know what you walk into the service with in the way of baggage, whether you've been a part of a church where tongue speaking, this prayer in other languages occurs, or whether you have a family member, a friend, or maybe you just say, man, that stuff sounds strange. That is just weird. And you just kind of go, I don't want any part of it. Let me tell you that I don't think you should easily discount this. I'm not asking you to all start doing it, and I'm not thinking it should be a part of our worship services, but don't easily move past it without thinking. Maybe God has something here for us. And maybe it's not just tongues, but all of those supernatural gifts that God would want to birth in his church because our spiritual lives actually get vamped up and start going, start moving. You know, I I found myself thinking maybe it would be nice if we had trouble controlling people's spiritual lives at Parker Ford Church because we just had so much energy in them. Such a close walk with God that that healings and supernatural experiences were breaking out. And then we had to step in and Tim had to give kind of a few words from the front or I did or our elders about how to order that thing. That'd be nice to actually order something that was actually that much alive, right? But easily what happens in our hearts is that we don't have that energy. Easily we come in here every Sunday morning and what we're looking for is some new thing to prop us up and to get us moving and we're looking for God to kind of move in our life because we've kind of lost our way over the previous six days. And what Paul's writing about is completely different. These people had such spiritual activity that they couldn't stop and they actually got a little crazy and he had to correct them. You know, the great writer C.S. Lewis wrote a quote. I want to read it for you said it this way, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. You know, most of our Christian lives, at least my history in the church, is spent trying to avoid things that we're desirous of. You know, we're trying to stop eating so much. We're trying to stop looking at things we shouldn't look at. We're trying to stop being a part of things that we, maybe it's habits, addictions. Maybe it's just the way we communicate. We've become aware that our desires, the things that are going on in our hearts, they're not, they're not perfect, they're not right, and they're not good. And what this writer is saying is, you know, maybe those are the desires we're so worried about when in fact we actually need to be worried about another side. Maybe our desires are not strong enough. Maybe they're too weak and they're for things that are too small to hold our interest. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you sitting here this morning and you're just too easily pleased with your spiritual walk? Your personal connection with God Have you gotten kind of okay with it? You have a rhythm and you feel like you're in balance, and yet this spiritual stuff that God's calling you to, the the greater effort, the greater energy, maybe those are the things God's trying to weave into our corporate community as he works with us individually, and we are kind of going, you know what, we're okay without that. And God comes knocking on our door and he says, I want to do supernatural things in your life. 
and you're not really that interested, are you? You know, I learned to pray very differently than I learned to be a Christian. I learned to be a Christian when I was about 17 years old. I was in the service, and I had heard people preach. All my life I'd heard people preach, and I always thought, oh, my goodness, not another sermon. And, and I went to this youth convention, and all of a sudden the pastor got up to preach, and I heard something else, you know, and it was just another moment. Three or four years after that experience, I had this moment with God. And I I was dating this girl. I was a sophomore in college. And I had decided that I was really kind of convinced at 20 years of age, as many 20-year-olds are, that this was going in the right direction. I was like, you know, I'm really excited about my life. And God got a hold of me. He interrupted me. And he broke my life up a little bit and said, you know what? You need to break this off. It's not a good relationship. And I did. And we walked our separate ways. And she was a wonderful person. And hopefully I'm a decent person. But we were not called to be together. But it really tore us up. There was some really messed up stuff that happened as a result. And over that summer, I made a commitment to God. I, I left college and I came home to, to the, the job I'd held for years. It was a, I drove a tractor at a farm. And I made a commitment with God. Maybe it was a commitment with me. I I made it as though I was talking to myself, but I think it may have had somebody else in the room. I made a commitment, and that was that I wasn't going to talk to God that summer about anything. I was giving God the silent treatment. He had taken away the, the person that I wanted to spend my time with, and I was done spending time with him. But I had this one pressing need in my life. I had this friend who was really going the wrong direction, and I decided that as I'd always had kind of a prayer list, I'd always prayed, you know, but I didn't have really a deep connection to God or a deep connection to prayer. And, and as I was deciding to do this, I said, I'm going to keep one prayer request list on my sheet. And every day I'm going to pray for this one person, and then I'm giving God the silent treatment the rest of the summer. This really was a great idea, right? You know, I, I said in the first service, don't try this at home. And it's not because I'm a trained professional. You just shouldn't try this, you know. But I decided I, this is what I was going to do. And two things happened over that summer as I didn't talk to God about anything but my friend Dave. One, Dave's life was altered forever. And he decided to walk with God, and he's still walking with him today. And I had nothing to do with that. I didn't call him, talk to him, write him, nothing. And God somehow got a hold of him, and we both looked back at that summer as the summer when everything changed for his life. And I can't take any credit for that. I can just tell you that's the one thing I did pray about. The other thing was that by the middle part of the summer, I started to have, I'll call it a consciousness. I had something happening where I realized that in not speaking to God, this is the first time maybe that I actually had a passionate connection with God. I realized that all of my prayer request list, all the things that I'd been entering into in the middle of my spiritual life, I had always just been taught to do that. So I was writing these lists, and I'd throw them at the heavens and think something might happen. But, you know, I wasn't truly invested. And then by acting as though God wasn't there, by acting as though, you know what, I'm not going to talk to you anymore, I actually proved to myself he was. And over time, I watched him just kind of coming close, and I realized that when I was driving that tractor and not talking to God, something happened. He started talking to me, not in specifics, not in anything I can tell you about. I didn't write any of it down. I just had this sense that, you know what, this is the first time in my life since I first came to Christ that I really believe God is real and that he's actually here and that he actually wants to work in my life. And I realized that, you know what, I didn't like what he did with my relationship, but that was the best thing for me. And I would have really chosen another way, but that actually turned out to be of benefit to my whole life. Now, we're sitting here with Shelby this morning, and you all know, I, I really got fortunate, right? I mean, God blessed me because that moment happened. But it was deep pain. It was tremendous hurt. And what happened as a result was that I put myself honestly before God. And when I had this moment with God, it changed everything for me. 
You know what I think Paul's talking about in this passage is that we're called to walk with God in such a close relationship that we're, we're struggling a little bit to keep it inside. What happened that summer is I realized that God was outside of my boundaries. I had this kind of religious set of rules and an understanding of how things worked, and I didn't realize that he could enter in and take things away and actually add things back, and he did both over the course of that summer. He gave me a great friend who's a lifelong follower of Christ, and he also took away somebody who I thought was important in my life who was supposed to not be so important. And in the middle of all that, my personal walk was transformed. When Paul's talking about this, what he's talking to is a group of people whose personal lives are being transformed and their passions are getting connected to God and they're getting so desirous of him acting in their lives that he's he's breaking out in their personal lives and then they're taking it to church and their church has just become one gigantic, chaotic, energized, moving mass of jello, but it's not actually a house that anybody can live in. It wasn't a house that energized or that, that strengthened or comforted. It wasn't a house that convicted of sin. It was a house where the spiritual vibes were just floating everywhere. There's something really good about this, right? There's something really good about where we, when we sit alone and we find out that we're not alone and God is actually there and that he starts to interface with us and we have this communication. When that happens, it energizes our spiritual life and we take things into the church and who knows what might happen. Would that the gift of healing broke out at Parker Ford Church. Would that people started to speak and communicate in ways that we find a little bit difficult. Now, I believe in the gift of tongues. I'm going to tell you why. I've never spoken in tongues in all my life, okay? I took eight credits of Spanish in college, and that's the closest I've ever gotten. I went to Mexico, and I started to talk to these people, and I tried to speak in Spanish, and they all looked at me like, no comprendo, you know? I mean, uh, that's the closest I've ever gotten to speaking in tongues. So I've got to tell you, this isn't me telling you, you should all do this. I've never done it. What I do want to tell you is that I have two reasons why I believe in the gift of tongues. One, the Bible says it. It's there. And it, and it communicates that it's part of a personal walk. It's not so much of a part of a service. If it is, then it needs to be translated so that it can edify and build up the church and so that we can see what God's actually saying through this person because it's this supernatural spiritual connection between God and a human being. And if that can be somehow communicated into life-changing truth, well, okay, that's good. But I believe in it because the Bible teaches it. The second thing is I have very mature friends in Christ who really walk with Jesus, who participate in this activity. And the Spirit of God has moved in their life. And whatever I think of it, I can trust the fact that he's moving in their life. And when I see it in mature Christians who are really doing it in a balanced way, I go, okay. And you know what? It's not that weird. I know you're probably, if you've never seen this, you're going, I don't want to see it. I don't want to experience this. But you know what? It's not that strange. And I can tell you stories. I won't this morning. But I believe in it. And you need to hear me say that I believe in it, though I'm not a part of, you know, a church that often is doing this. And I'm not somebody who personally is involved. The gift of tongues and the gifts that are supernatural or mystical or seem kind of out of bounds and weird are maybe the gifts that are going to energize your personal spiritual life. And I don't know what God would do with you. I don't know how your brain works. You're different than every other person in this room. You know, I was holding a baby before this service. I was just holding up this little, this little guy, and he looked at me, and I said, oh, I, I've met his grandfather. He looks just like him. And somebody said, oh, no, we don't need two of that grandfather. And I said, well, that's true. But, you know, this guy is his own person. And we have yet to see who this person is going to become. It's going to be really remarkable to watch him develop into who that, that he's created to be, right? That's an amazing thing. And God pours spiritual gifts into our lives so we can become uniquely us in light of his personal work. Now, I want to say one more word about this. I got a phone call 
maybe two weeks ago for my dad, and my brother has committed a huge betrayal. We're not sure he's coming to Christmas. Um, and, and that is that he has started to admit that he likes country music. And in our family, there is no more heinous crime than to admit you like country music. If you, if you go to the CMA Awards or any of that stuff, you are just out. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm deeply disappointed. I haven't talked to him since. And I'm not sure I'm going to. We're having a conversation. But, you know, if we all put up our hands and I said, okay, do you like this music or do you like that? We'd all have different types of music. I like NPR. We just turn off the music in our church and we just all talk all day. That's what NPR is, right? With the little sound effects, if you ever listen to it, they have like, you know, this cart going down the road in Bangladesh and they have the noise of the cart going down the road. That's, that's what I like, okay? And you like a whole bunch of different things. And if we all bring what is personally us into this church, we are going to have the most crazy praise team with the most crazy church with all sorts of energy and life and all of our personal sway, all of our personal desires getting their way. It would end up in chaos, right? We could never have that. We have to give leadership place to, to move and to do what they need to do. I'm joking about my brother in the country music words, but it, it, it makes you aware that my brother and I, we don't even look alike. If you ever see him, you're going to go, is that really your brother? And he is. He's biologically connected to me, but he looks a lot different. You know, we all come at this thing from different places, and our spiritual lives are like that as well. When you see God doing something in someone else that makes you uncomfortable, be careful. Be careful, because it might be God. And if you discount that, if you speak against it, maybe the thing that's going to happen is not so much that they're going to be offended as you're going to discount something that God wants to do in your life. And that's going to be a really important part of your walk that you might miss out on because that person is important to who you are. Well, that's not where Paul leaves it. He says one set of things talking about this gift of tongues, but then he goes on to talk about this, this other gift. It's called prophecy. You know, now, prophecy is something that across the scriptures means something very different. You might have heard in my last community, there were endlessly these people going around and they would deliver these posters of color. They were colorful and very, very inviting and very interesting, except on the front cover there would be a picture of a dragon and some pictures of revelation, some things eating something, a gigantic beast coming out of the water. And it would invite you to a prophecy conference. And I would always go, what is that? A prophecy. I never went. I don't know. I didn't know what the church was doing. But they sent out these cards and they would say, this is what prophecy is. And all the people in our church had this idea of what prophecy is that always had to do with the end times. It always looked to the future. But that's not what prophecy is in the Bible at all. Prophecy is when people take the eternal character of God and the principles of God and they're called to speak it into the life of the believers around them. That's all it is. So you see the Bible is built around the Ten Commandments and there are these ten words and then there are all of this story around the Torah and then and then you get a little further in the Bible and you have these prophets and all they're doing is a few hundred later years later interpreting what God said back here for a whole new community up here. That happens every week in Parker Ford Church. That is what we do. That is what church is called to do. You know, when Tim and I sit down and we we try to work up a message, what we do is we say, God, here's the scripture, and it's always true, and it's always there for us, but what do you want to speak to this church right now? How does this scripture come alive and impact the life of people at Parker Ford Church? And we ask him to reveal his will to us. We do this all the time. And then what you get is a sermon. And you say, well, that was a good sermon, hopefully. And you say, that could change my life if I listen to that. And I need to be altered by this truth. And that's just taking the age-old character of God. He's been here forever. He's been saying the same things over and over again. But it comes in new light as we context it in the situations of today. 
Our culture is changing quickly. It's altering and being transformed by forces beyond our control. But God's voice continues to speak in it. And it sounds a little different because it's contexted differently. But yet it's always God. And it's working in this powerful way. And Paul says this is essential that it happens in the life of the church. Let me read for you. This is from 1 Corinthians 14.29. It says this, Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. He actually says this about tongues as well. If you're going to have anybody speak in tongues, interpret it, and only two or three people should do it because if everybody starts talking in the middle of a church service, even if they're speaking in English, it's going to be chaos. And everybody should sit and weigh what happens. This past week, Jay had a moment with God, and I had him share that moment with you. You know, you can't make Jay Deering do anything, by the way. And he got up here and said, you know, Josh is my pastor, and he's really making me do this. It's not, did you see me with the chicken wing, you know, behind him, making him do that? You can't make Jay Deering do anything. But he really didn't want to get up here because it's a cautious thing when you think you hear God's voice. But he listened to a couple of brothers. He bounced it off a few people. And we all said, you know what? We think this is God. He's actually sharing with us. What happens in this passage is that the people are weighing it out and they're listening for what this word is. The truth of yesterday, connect, contexted in today, some scripture and some word brought about in our world today. It's not as though Romans 13 or 1 Peter chapter 3 wouldn't have said what Jay shared with us this morning. I can find scripture that says exactly what Jay said, but he had it spoken to him this week because of an, a very important situation that we're facing as a country, right? That's how it works. And we have to weigh those words and we have to listen and we have to find that truth for today and we have to have it alive in our community. The word of God is alive and active according to Hebrews 4.12 and we have to have it alive and active as it pours through people's voices. Now, let me tell you that pastors are not the only ones to do this. You know, I got a word last year, I'll call it a word, uh, from a person who knew my life intimately and was very, very non-credible when it came to the scriptures. She didn't have a good exegetical interpretation on some biblical passage. And when she came to me to deliver this word, it was a really tough word. She told me, I think you should do your life differently. I think you should live a little differently. And I was offended immediately. It was my daughter, Sophie. She's in third grade. And she came to me, and, she, and I, I kid you not. Now, Sophie has opinions that are larger than North America, okay? And I don't listen to every one of them. She would tell me what she thinks of your shirt this morning. She has precise opinions about everybody's clothing, and I don't, you don't want to hear them, you know? I mean, there's all sorts of things that I'm not listening to my daughter about. But she had this moment where she said, you know, Dad, I think when you come home, you spend too much time on the computer. You know, I get their homework out. When I get home, we do their homework, and they get their homework out on the table, and I get out my laptop, and they're doing their math, and I'm doing my emails. And she said, you know, I feel like you're not really focusing on us. Well, she's wrong. We know she's wrong. We can just walk away from a word like that and say, discounted, she's only seven. We don't have to listen. We don't have to trust. We don't. No, there was something in it. It was almost as though someone was standing behind Sophie. And when I, when I went back to this thought of weighing carefully what is said, I got to tell you what I thought about was, I need to take this to my prayer life and I need to ask God and then I need to ask Shelby and a few other people in our family and ask, am I somebody who's just way too focused on other things and not focused enough on our family? And as it turns out, it was true. And I had a sense when she said it, you know, this was a moment for Josh. It didn't seem all that strange. It didn't seem all that supernatural. But I'm convinced that it was as though God himself was trying to get a hold of my life. I was focusing on my professional life, my ministerial life. Very important that it is. It's the same as everybody else's job. It has to stop when we become dads. 
And it has to stop when we become just followers of Christ because even though I'm a pastor, I'm first and foremostly a follower of Jesus and secondly, I'm a dad and a husband and then third, I pursue this other call in my life, right? And this call easily takes over these two calls and this call over here does that because I'm compensating maybe. Maybe I don't feel that good at being a God follower. Maybe I don't feel that good at being a dad. It's a lot tougher to be a dad than to pastor you guys. Honestly, it's a tougher role being a dad than any other role I have. And God had to get a hold of my life and say, listen, you know what, this thing that I want to do in you, you're going to have to hear it directly and it's going to hit you a little hard. But once you swallow a couple times, it's going to be the right thing for you. And it has been. We made rules around this whole thing. I had to change my behavior based on what Sophie said. So let me talk just a little bit more about what prophecy looks like in the church. This is from 1 Corinthians 14.6. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? So picture this. It's as though God is revealing something to our community and maybe to you specifically. And maybe he's going to use the person sitting next to you or some friend or your spouse. Maybe it's not going to be a sermon that's going to do that. It's going to be in an informational way. You're going to get some communication that's going to help you understand what, how to live life a little differently. It's going to be God's will for you right now. There's just this sense that not everybody should quit emailing at 3.45 in the afternoon. That's not an eternal word of God, right? But when Sophie said it, it was the word for me. And fourth, explanations have to be made in a way that they become applicable. So the word has this kind of need to be applied to our context today. How do we teach it? How do we explain it? That's what this passage says about prophecy. And we need it in the life of the church. And frankly, it's very much a supernatural activity, although it doesn't seem so offensive as if somebody stood in the middle of our, of our church and started speaking in a language that we all went, wow, that's really foreign to us. And yet we need it, and it is very much a supernatural activity that God does in a community, making his church life-giving. This is how a house is built. This is how God builds up the pieces with individually ramped up spiritual lives that get brought into submission to the overall community as people are directed and led to give the truth to each other. What a great picture of church, right? So what should a church look like? I want to read you two passages in closing and tell you one story. A church should look like this, but the one who prophesies and listen to these words speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's verse 3, and then I want to read from the end of the chapter. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So first we know that there is a, a call for the church and the prophetic truth of the church to be strengthening, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. But then it's supposed to do something else. How many of you woke up this morning and you said, I really, really want today, November 11th, to be a day when I'm convicted of sin? You just said, I want God to work in my life in that way. We don't easily pray that prayer, right? You know, and it usually takes other people to see the sin in us. I look at myself every morning and I think, I am a really good guy. I mean, I, I am really wonderful. And then I ask Shelby and she says, you know, you're not that wonderful. <laughs> she has specific things periodically. Nobody's ever delivered more prophetic words in my life than Shelby Bitework. And she's always right on. And I hate it, you know, because that conviction of sin, the conviction of what's wrong in my heart, it's tough. But that's what's supposed to happen in a church. And when people start to speak the truth, it creates a strong environment where people can be encouraged, comforted, and also convicted. We find out what's wrong with us, not so we can just be judged and thrown out, but so we can be transformed and, and blessed with a community. 
We have this judgment that's provided, this wisdom from outside ourselves. Secrets of our heart are revealed. You know, when Sophie delivered that word to me, there was this moment where I had to think about what was really going on inside of me. It wasn't just the emailing at a certain time of day as a sin. It's not at all true. We know that. It's actually that my heart was actually focused on the wrong thing, and I was prioritizing wrongly, and I was even doing that because of a wrong relationship with God where I was making things that are professional more important than things that are private. You know, your most important time with God is your personal walk time, the personal stuff, the the time you're alone with him, and your personal family time is really important. You don't bring that all to church, but when you get here, all that you do in the church is a product of all of that personal stuff you've already been a part of. And if you're spiritually alive, then church will be a wonderful experience. But if you're not personally alive, let me tell you, it's really hard for the praise team to sing well enough to get you back to good. It's really hard for the pastors to preach enough, and it's really hard for you to hear the people who might be able to speak into your life in a tone that's actually going to be helpful. Because what you're going to easily say is what I easily say. I don't want to hear from these folks. I don't want to find out I'm wrong. But what this passage of Scripture says is that if we all get a ramped-up spiritual walk with Jesus in our personal lives and then bring it to church in an orderly fashion and listen for the truth, then he will reveal the secrets of our heart and even the things we can't find out about ourselves, the things that are deeply held, will become things that he can change. I want God to change the inside of me more than I want anything else in this world. I want you to know there are things wrong with Josh Bightwork. They're absolutely broken, and they're so deep down. No psychologist can touch them. My spouse, she doesn't know all that goes on inside. Nobody does because we all have those things. But the Spirit of God wants to work in the life of a community to make me someone who's different. And I'm convinced that he can transform me using people and using his spirit. But the last thing and the most important on this list is that it builds towards worship. What is the product of church? What are we here to ultimately accomplish? We are always here to connect with God in the rightful way everyone is always supposed to connect with God, with their hearts laid bare before him saying, please, Father, work, because you are our God and we are your children. We are here to worship, not just sing and praise, but actually give of ourselves completely. That's what worship actually is. It can happen musically, it can happen financially, it can happen in time, it can happen in all these different ways. But when we listen to God speak through the life of community and we keep up on our personal walk with him, what actually ends up happening is we can become a worshiping church. That is a huge ideal that is rarely met. It's a very difficult prospect. We might feel like we're worshiping and we're getting somehow energized in our walk with God when we come here, but it's not all that God wants it to be. It's not all that God wants it to be. If I've offended you this morning with a conversation about tongues, you may have walked in here and you don't even know what we're talking about. Or maybe you've walked in and you've been a participant in this, or you've been a part of a church where it's been, where you've seen it happen, or you have family or friends or whatever it is. I want you to know, I have more reason to be offended than any of you, okay? I, I really think this. I, that's half of a joke. But I, 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 I was at a service a few years ago, a few years, it's more like 10 or 12. And I, was, I, was, I walked in and this lady said, do you speak in tongues? And I said, no, I don't. And she said, well, today is your day. I'm the sort of guy who doesn't walk out when people say that to me. I think, you know, that, that's, that makes me weird, right? I mean, she said, you're going to speak in tongues. Now, there's one demographic on this planet that can get me. They, they always do well by me, and they're, they're older women. This woman was about 70 years of age, and if you try this after the service, you can watch how fast you'll, you'll challenge my pacifist convictions. In other words, I will hit you, okay? And she walked up to me, and she grabbed me by the jaw like this, and she said, God, let this man speak in tongues, and she started to yank on my mouth. 
not only did my spirit not engage and suddenly utter other words, you know, syllables, consonants, and vowels that nobody could understand, not only did that not happen, but my spirit fled to Antarctica with all the birds headed south for the winter. I mean, honestly, I was no longer present, and this woman had deeply offended me. We're still friends, by the way, this lady and I. I, Nobody could get away with it besides this woman. I I just couldn't figure it out. This has become one of those major things in the church. And I tell you that story to bring you back to the fact that, you know, the, the word tongues, it becomes way too much the point. What is the point is the spiritual walk with Jesus. Unity of your soul with his soul. He may call you to speak in another language. You may start talking to God one day and end up in a language that you don't recognize. I don't, that's fine. Don't bring it all in here and make everybody feel weird, but definitely do use it in your walk with him. That's fine. Some of you probably have that going on. Not me. I wish I knew how. You can get a hold of my jaw afterwards, you know. It it just doesn't work. But the spirit of God does things, and we don't know what he'll do. We don't know what he'll do next. It may be healing. It may be that you're called to put your hand on somebody's shoulder and just say, God, this person is physically, emotionally, spiritually damaged, and I want you to heal them. And when you do that, something might happen. It might be that you're called in your spiritual time to give differently or to be a part of ministries in a way that seems strange to everybody else around you. Listen to those little voices. They're God actually trying to work in your life. But submit them to the larger community as truth pours into who you are from outside. God is alive. You know, C.S. Lewis, the same guy who I quoted earlier, was, was famous for saying, God is not a tame lion. You know, in the Bible, it refers to David, the ancient king of Israel, as this lion picture. And so they talk about Jesus as though he's a lion. And he's not a tame cat. He's somebody you can't tell him what to do. And he broke out in the church of Corinth in a way that nobody saw coming and everybody had a tough time dealing with. Let's see that happen happen right here in Pottstown. Let's see him break out and do something unexpected. But whatever it is... We have to do it in an orderly fashion. We have to listen for that truth voice in the middle of it. And let's look for God to move. All right? Join me in prayer.